Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning. Good morning, LBCF. Good to be here with you this morning. Uh, again, yeah, my name is Alvia, and I'm part of the teaching team here at LBCF, and my wife and I uh, lead the high school ministry as well. And um, yeah, as usual, it's a joy to be here with you today. And uh, I just want to, um, one more plug for the meal train. You know, when my wife and I had our daughter, I, I just didn't even get to thinking about dinner. And we got home, you know, and didn't think about dinner. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I got to, I got to, what are we going to eat, you know? And Allie was like, oh, we got it taken care of, meal train. And, I mean, it was like food delivered for days. And, honestly, it was like, it was amazing. It was manna. Manna showing up at our um, our doorstep. And it was just a true sense of community. Um, So just want to plug that meal train again because it's it's totally awesome. Um, And last week we had this, uh, it was Vision Sunday. And um, we got to hear from our, pastor, our pastors, our pastoral team, and they shared about uh, our vision, you know, that we're going to be, like, marinating in and, and chewing on this week. And it's, it's, you know, rooted in Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And, and you know, in thinking about that, still this theme of, of community carries on. Um, LBCF, we're actively pursuing community. And, and I, I just think about that verse, this, this vision statement, and, you know, it, it literally does not, it like falls apart. It, does, it cannot exist if there's not another person in the room, if there's not another person walking with you on your path. If there's no community, there's no Micah 6-8. You know, we can't do justice if we're not rubbing elbows with, with um, our neighbors and our, our friends and our community. And so I just want to I, I invite you to keep that theme of community in your back pocket as as um, as we talk, as they share this morning, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to be, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 10, and um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to dive in a little heavy, and I'm not, I wasn't sure if I want to share some of my perspective, my story here, um, but you know, I, I did, I spent some, I, I did a discipleship training school with YWAM years ago in my early 20s, and Went to Australia. It was a really cool experience, and one of my best friends that I met there is a girl uh, named uh, Melissa, and she's from Georgia. So showing up in Australia, I met this, like, true southern, I mean, like, full-on accent, full-of-life um, uh, woman with a massive heart for Jesus, and we became great friends. And so after our time in, in Australia, when I got back, I went out and I visited her in Georgia, and I remember, um, and just, just sorry, side note, if you, I've shared a little bit about my background, but I am, I'm black, I am black, I know, and so is my daughter, and, and, you know, I'm also, I'm Jamaican, half Jamaican, half Korean, and my, uh, my mom, though, was born and raised in Japan, I was raised by my mom, my first language was Japanese, and a little bit of, you know, I just had a very multicultural upbringing and experience, and I found myself in a lot of settings where it's like, man, I'm not sure how I fit in here, you know. Um, and I, I shared once before about, you know, how do you, if, if we base finding a church home on finding that community that looks like you and that you entirely relate with, well, where do I fit in? Where's my home? Because I don't know a, J- a Jamaican-Korean, you know, um, 
weird church, but I do know a really awesome weird church. Um, and, and so anyways, I, I get there, and, and I get off. I don't know if you've been to the airport in Atlanta, but, man, I have never seen so many African-American black, some, so many black people in my life. Like, everyone was black, everybody. You know, the, the pilot, the businessman, the, the punk rocker walking down the street. And I was like, man, this is a different world, a different experience for me. It was a, sort of a culture shock. And then Melissa picked me up, and we drove to her town, and it was completely different. It was very, very white, and it was very clear between the two. And that week was just so interesting because, and I, maybe I had experience this week because just for this, this message today, um, but, man, it was just so wild to experience such, I guess, like self-segregation, but it was normal. And Melissa would, did a lot of talking and sharing with me about how, yeah, it's just normal. Like, people are looking at us right now because we're eating dinner together, but this is just the way it's been for years. And she's, she shared stories of really close friends in school being a part of, you know, like the Ku Klux Klan, Klansmen. Um, but it's not because they just choose to hate somebody. It's because their grandparents were. And it just goes, it just, you know, it's just part of culture. And so her high school had two proms, one for country music, one for rap music. And, and it's just, it's just, it just was like, I, I was hearing these stories. And, and, um, but everybody I met was so hospitable and so just so warm and received me so, so well. And on Sunday, we went to her church and it was like the, the happening, modern, you know, evangelical church in the area. And uh, we show up and it's like kind of the same thing, you know, we do worship together and all of a sudden it was time to greet the person sitting next to you. And I'll never forget, I, they said, you know, turn to the person next to you and say hello. And I turned to this person, I said, hey, good to be here with you today. They received me and then I turned to the person and I'll never forget the look on this girl's face. And she looked at me and she had her hand out and I grabbed it and she took her hand back. And then she turned around and sat back down. And it was just so, it was like jarring. It was like, what, maybe it was something else. Maybe I had a booger in my nose. Maybe, you know, COVID wasn't a thing, but I don't know. Um, but it just felt really harsh. <clears throat> and, um, you know, since then, the, I don't think just since then, but, you know, I, I do a lot of thinking about church culture. I'm very passionate about the way churches pursue their communities, and there's a term, multicultural ministry, that is, is massively important for me, and I think simply just even growing up as a half-Jamaican, Japanese-speaking, um, Korean dude. Um, now, it was just Martin Luther King Day, and, uh, and there's this awesome quote that, he's got a lot of great quotes, um, but there's one quote that just lights a fire in my heart when I hear it, and it's, you know, it's, it's, on 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the American week. And it's so wild that, you know, I do think society has changed very much. I mean, I've had a lot of arguments. I don't want to get too political, but I've had a lot of discussions with really close friends about how racism doesn't really impact people today in a way that is very important that we need to really focus on. Um, and, and, but when I look at the church, and, and one of the arguments is look, look at the world. It's just not the same. And I think it's, it, that is largely true, but um, just focusing in on the church, I think it still stands that it's probably still the most segregated hour of the week, and there's a conviction in my heart for that. It, like, it drives me wild. 
Um, and I'm just going to kind of just keep on rambling now. I'm going to leave my text here. And I have one more thought. The funny story, I just went camping in Joshua Tree. And um, uh, just with a bunch of friends, we go every year. And um, we're on this hike, and a bunch of friends, all of our kids, we're hiking to this, this uh, spot called the Barker Dam, if you know Joshua Tree. And I've never seen so many people in Joshua Tree. But it's just COVID, you know, it's like crowds everywhere. And, and so we're approaching the dam, and, and we're walking, and it was kind of like, um, I don't know, maybe like the feeding of the 5,000. like we're in the desert, and there's a line trying to get to the dam. And, and literally, you're waiting for people to go, and it's such an odd thing. And I'm approaching the dam, and all of a sudden... I see him, another black dude. He's sitting at the dam, and he, like, locks eyes on me, right? And I see him. I notice him. I'm well aware he's there. And we continue to approach, and my buddy goes, hey, bro, there's another brother over here, you know? And and I was like, yep, yep, you know? And And I look up at him, and the guy just from far, he just nods. And then I nod, right? And, 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 and I'm just, you know, and what's so funny, though, is like this guy, he really wanted to connect with me. And so I, as we got closer and closer and we finally got to the dam, I'm walking by him and he's still nodding at me. And I'm kind of nodding like I'm a, sort of an awkward guy sometimes. And, and he's just like, he's like, right? And I'm like, yeah. And, and, and then he goes, and he just is like, how you, how you, how you holding up? How you doing? You know, and I'm like. I'm good, you know, and, and then we go on with our day. And this is, this is, people call this the black knot or, you know, there's like Black Alicious has an episode on uh, talking about, it's just a, it's a thing. And I never realized it was a thing until my wife and I, maybe as an adult, my wife is white and, and we will walk places and I get the nod and she doesn't. And we always talk about like, she's like why don't I get the nod, you know? And my, my friends always pointed out, my friend isn't black. He was just like, he was like, dude, he, why didn't I get, he, why didn't he say hi to me, you know? And, and then I've also had conversations with some of my best friends are like, we are water and oil. And, and, and they'll tell me, they'll say, they'll, they'll say, man, isn't that kind of racist? Like, if I only said hi to white people, then isn't that racist, you know? Um, but the truth of the matter is, is there's like this common experience. I think this greeting of the, the nod has been going on for years and years and years. It's a culture that's hap- that was created because of events and things and common experiences. Um, there's, there's a YouTube video that's amazing that you can just Google the black nod, and it's 25 minutes of people explaining how they do the nod. It's very simple. Some, I do the upward nod. I do the downward nod. Sometimes I, you know, I tip my hat, and there's this, there's this nod. And, um, you know, one of the warmest things that I experience as part of a being a, a member of the black community is, you know, sometimes people go a step further than not and they ask me, how are you managing? How are you holding up? How are you dealing with life? This common experience, how, how, how are you going? And I, it's like there's, it's almost like they see my book and I see their book and there's this common experience. My best friend is, uh, again, he's one of my, he's like the oil to my water. And he will not hesitate. He's not, a, he's not a, a believer. And he will not hesitate to tell me things like stick it, stick the thorn in my side. And he'll say, and we'll even debate church culture. And he'll say, you know, well, what's the point of, he's like, listen, man. He called, this is how he actually said it. I don't really think diversity is that important. And I was like, man, dude, shut. You know, like, and he's just like, well, he's like, honestly, man, this is the way we've been 
human mankind has been this way since day one. You know, like we stick with who we're comfortable with and the people that we get along with. And he pointed the finger at me and he said, in fact, you do that too. You want to live in neighborhoods and hang out with people that you get along with and you look like and you're comfortable with and you have the same similar things. And, and I wrestled with that and I wanted to, you know, wrestle with him. But at the same time, he's right, 100% right, absolutely right. This has been the way of the world since day one. Um, but the good news, guys, is that as we read Scripture, God has been at work countering the way of the world since day one, um, since the beginning. And it's very loud when we read the Scripture. I mean, if you just think about Genesis 12, where God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless every single family and every single nation through you, Abraham. He's got the whole world and all people, all types of people in mind. And then, you know, you fast forward to Matthew 28 and this passage we call the Great Commission. And, and Jesus is telling his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And just a, a page flip over in Acts 1.8, just before Jesus ascends, he tells them about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to give them power to do some good things. And, and what is that? It's give them power to literally... To, to reach people in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the earth. God has been on mission, and the mission is very, very apparent as we read Scripture. And this topic of multicultural ministry is not just about ethnicity and race and skin color, but it's every which way. It's however we find ourselves to be different, and however we find ourselves to uh, differentiate ourselves with others. And I think the key word in my mind is partiality how we form partialities, that's not a word, um, in, in our communities. And then we fast forward even further, just 10 chapters over, and that's the story that we're going to look, and I know, big intro, um, but uh, Acts chapter 10 is this pivotal story um, in the church, in the life of the church, that honestly, if this event did not happen, we wouldn't be here, most of us. If you're not Jewish, you would not be here today gathering and I almost, I was thinking about this morning, I was reading, I was thinking about this passage, I was like, man, there should totally be like a diversity day or something, you know, like, like a few weeks after Pentecost, uh, there should be a day where it's like, this is a massive day where the kingdom of heaven was, f- the doors are flung wide open. And so we're going to, we're going to look at the story, Acts chapter 10, is a story where Peter receives this vision um, and, and he just goes through, like, uh, uh, he, you know, he's, he's realizing that God is, is up to a new thing, at least for his, his, um, his people, and, and it's, it's troubling for him. Um, so let's just go ahead and read Acts chapter 10. Um, at, at, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, prayed continually to God. And one day, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision. An angel showed up. An angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms, your actions have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send, do something, send men to Joppa, 30 miles away, 
and go get this guy. Bring one Simon who is, who's called Peter, who's lodging with the Simon a Tanner, who, uh, whose house is by the sea. In verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And as I said earlier, that God was at work doing something, on mission, doing the same thing that he's been on mission since the beginning. And in verse 9, at the same time, while this is going on, God is at work speaking to and doing things in Peter's life. And so the next day, as they were going on this, they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about six, um, at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted to eat something, something I've related with. But then he fell into a trance because he was waiting. It was taking so long. I've related with that too. And saw the heavens opened up and um, a sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth and all of it, all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds in the air. This also has happened to me as I've waited and fallen into a trance. All kinds of food. What would I like to eat right now? And anyways, he sees this vision and then all of a sudden he hears a voice. And the voice says, rise, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter goes, no way, by no means. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And what he's speaking to here is just legally, like according to Jewish law, like you, you, didn't, you didn't eat certain foods. And Peter, who like was like the leader of the early church, he was like, I'm not going to fall for this. I, I, I rock the rules 100%. I get it. And the voice came again a second time and says, what God's made clean, do not call uncommon. Or do not, do not call common. And then verse 16. This happened three times for my numerology buffs. Man, the number three is like a significant number. And a lot of times when I read that number, it's like, man, you know, God is up to something here. And he really wants this to happen. Now, meanwhile, verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision had, had seen, um, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, uh, they show up. And they tell Peter, hey, like, you know, we'd like for you to come back um, to Cornelius' house. And, and long story short, he goes back, and, um, and, and, and everybody in Cornelius' household, uh, they, they become believers. And they start, they join the kingdom. There are a few things I want to point out here that's massive. One, I just love that the person who didn't have the correct religious title of Jewish, God was listening to him. And we still to this day play this who's in and who's out game in the church. And this is the scenario where the person who's on the out, God was listening to him the whole time. And in fact, this whole act, I feel like the story is about Cornelius because God was responding to his very prayers, not the prayers of, of the church, but the prayers of this person who was not, did, who did not have a seat at the table. And I think that's absolutely important. And, and so here's this guy who's a commander in the military. He's got power, but he, he knows God. 
and he prays and he's responding. And then if we just turn and we look to Peter, here's Peter who's literally struggling. He's perplexed at this vision because he's struggling between two things. He's, he, he's struggling because he's caught, he's caught dealing with two things. One is just religion, and the other is the way of the world. This vision was calling him out of both of those things. Both of those things that he has committed himself to, himself to for, for his whole life. And now as a leader, absolutely wants to continue to walk in. Verse 17, where it says, you know, while Peter, he inwardly, he was perplexed. I always just, and, and it's, it almost is like he just gets it after he's perplexed and he, he wrestles. And originally the title of the sermon was supposed to be um, All Things New. And guys, I just want to say that here at LBCF, man, I think that God is always up to new things. And, um, and he's always up to, um, you know, doing things that might be kind of uncomfortable. In fact, when I think about uh, surfing, I used to surf a lot. And I used to always pray for waves when I'm out there and there's no waves. And sometimes a wave would come and I would, it's like, okay, now I got to actually paddle and join in and ride that wave. And so the question is, what new thing is God doing here in our community? I want to turn to the scripture one more time. And, and Peter here, um, what ends up happening is he, he actually goes to uh, Cornelius's house. And, you know, when he enters... Verse 26, he enters, Cornelius drops down on his knees, almost like to worship him or to just revere him. And Peter says, stand up, I'm too, I too am a man. And over, over a year, I've read this so many times, and I'm always, I've always read this like, man, Peter's so legit. He's like so gets it. Man, he just knows he's not Jesus. He's like, no, 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 you do that for Jesus, not me. But I think perhaps there's a deeper conversation here. It's not so much about who is God and whether or not Peter felt like he should be worshipped or not. Perhaps Peter, because of this vision, because he got in tune with who this person is, Cornelius, he got more in touch with his humanity. He got in touch with his humanity, and so that Cornelius' humanity became his, and he was able to relate with him. In a sense, he was able to say, we are equals. There's another black greeting called Sawabona. It's a Zulu uh, phrase that people uh, still use to this day to say hello and greet people in Africa. And uh, this term is really significant because it doesn't simply mean hello. You're literally saying, we see you. And so if you're walking down the street and you see somebody and you say, we see you, they answer back, yes, and we see you as well. And this word is so significant because it's an ancient word that goes back to like tribal times where people like when when I say we see you I'm talking about my lineage and my tribe and all of our experiences and all the the battles and hardship and hard things that have happened in my life we I see we see you and that tribe that person his lineage his entire experience sees sees me back and I mean how profound is simply saying hello in that way And I think there's a conversation of realizing and getting in touch with our humanity that is significant here. Perhaps, LBCF, we can put this on as a spiritual practice to truly see one another and to truly listen. 
can we be convinced that it's worth it to get to know people who are absolutely different, politically different, culturally different, personality-wise different, skin color, background. And what I mean by listening to one another, I'm not just saying to go and grab a coffee and say, hey, tell me your life story, but truly do life. Saubona life is, is it, it, it's cumbersome. I think it's also, it also calls us to sacrifice certain things. My number one excuse for not wanting to see others is, is I don't got time. I don't have time. I got to go and I got to work. And I have a steady job, but I want to work more to earn more income. So what is the cost of getting to know others? to where we can say sal buona and say we see you and we see you back. And if we put this on in our community, what would that look like? What would that look like? There was a moment that I was rocked by this act of seeing others. And um, I, I, there, I, I work with youth in, in Irvine, and I was asked to lead a, a program at a school that's like the last stop for kids who, who get in trouble and who like haven't been showing up at school or some of them just, you know, they're like what they would call like at-risk youth. And one thing I loved about the school is like literally like you couldn't send your way out of the school. So if a child did not want to come to school for six months just because they weren't showing up, they couldn't get kicked out because it was already the last stop. And, and I, it was a beautiful thing. So there's things that, f- that, were, that went on at that school that you don't experience at other schools. And I just I loved every bit of it. But I remember when I first started, I, I walked onto this campus with this attitude of like, man, I know what the school is, and I know that the kids here have gotten in trouble, and I know that they just need to get their act together. So my job is to encourage them to start getting their act together. And I was asked that week to, to, to be a leader in a small group, and, and they said, Alvia, your job is to sit with these four, three, four kids and and they're going to tell you their story. We're going to ask them to give you their story. But you're not allowed to comment. You're allowed to listen, but you can't say a thing. You can nod, and you can let them know you're listening, but you can't, com- you can't give your advice. And I think they even said you can't console. Just listen. Just listen. And I remember the first feeling I got was, man, this is so crazy difficult. I just, when they said, man, I've been really stressed out and dealing with anxiety, I really want to say, man, you know what? Like, allow that anxiety to exist, but keep on going. I want to just kind of say all kinds of things. And I started hearing these stories one by one. And I remember this one student who, uh, who's, who, both, who lost both his parents in a car accident. And at a young age, elementary school age, went to go live with his grandparents who happened to live in a neighborhood with a gang. And he got involved with the gang. And, and committed a crime that put him in juvenile hall at a very, very young age. So I met him at, at high school age, and that um, he had just recently gotten out. And I remember thinking, or I remember hearing him explain how it must have been around the holidays. He said, this was my first Thanksgiving meal of my life. And I remember hearing these guys' stories and, and, and just listening and I walked, even though I walked in with this idea of like, okay, how can I inspire these guys to change? My attitude became, it, it changed over to, man, I can't believe you showed up to school today. Like, if I were you, I wouldn't have showed up to school. I'd be like, forget all this. I'm doing what I want. 
But just you showing up is like, is massive. And my, my perspective completely changed. And I do think that listening is a spiritual act. I think it's a spiritual practice. I think it takes time and it costs. And I'm definitely not great at it. Um, but I also want to challenge our community, including myself, to step in to this spiritual act of listening so that we can love one another. Coming up here, guys, this gathering that just happened, the LGBTQ gathering, um, which, which went so well, and, and this gathering on race and faith, I'm so excited about these things because these are opportunities to just listen and just hear stories and get to know one another. And not all the lesson, listenings can be done just in, a, in an hour and a half, but, but I think committing to do relationship with people who aren't like you, I think, is, is a massive thing. And so this work that God has been up to, the culture of the kingdom as it manifests here in Long Beach as a continuation of what happened in the early church in Acts continues with us. And how do we live that out? How do we approach one another? How is the spirit calling you right now to, to respond and to relate with one another and to be in one another's lives? I'd like to invite the prayer team and the worship team up. And we're just going to respond. And during this time, guys, we have communion. And in fact, we have communion up every week um, in this season. And if you would like to take communion, feel free to come up and, um, and engage with communion. But as we respond, I just, um, I, I just ask, how is the Spirit leading you? To, um, to truly see one another, to really spend time, and to spend time listening to one another? How is the Spirit calling you to expand the gates of heaven even further than it is now? Is there anybody that is on the out or somebody that you feel like you, don't, you aren't like and that you are kind of excluding or not wanting to do relationship? How is the Holy Spirit leading you this morning? Father, we... we uh, come before you, this whole gathering, from the worship music, the praise music, to the, the announcements, to greeting one another, and this message, this look at, your, at the scripture, um, has all been a crescendo, so that we can have a conversation and be face-to-face with you, Jesus. And so I just ask in this time that you would speak to us. Fill our hearts with your heart. What breaks your heart, Lord? We want to see it. And... Um, Lord, as, as, um, help us to be con- sensitive, sensitive to truth, sensitive to perhaps how our truths and what the things that we believe might not necessarily be the one necessary way, the one necessary thought. Father, help us to, to place unity and, and oneness and, and having a like mind at the forefront of our heart before religion and the way of the world. Lord, I pray that LBCF would become, let us be a community that just completely counters, that operates counterculturally to um, the way the world has been since day one. Amen. We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace. 
to learn to live in love like Jesus.